Gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we come together, gathered as a body, Father. We come to drink of Your living Word. We, we come to Your Word because there's nothing we have. We don't have it in and of ourselves. But God, You and You alone, You have the words of life, God. And there's nowhere else we can go. Where else are we going to turn, Father? You have the words of life. So it's to Your Word that we come and we pray that our hearts would be exposed. That You would lie our, our sin bare before us. And that we would be confronted with Your holiness and see our weakness and desperation, God. Pray that Your Spirit would fall upon us. Change our hearts that we might become more and more like Your Son. Unto Your glory. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> About four to five years ago, I went uh, camping with my father-in-law in the Sierra Mountains out in California, and we were camping along the a mountain lake, so it's, it's part of the mountain, and it goes deep, very deep, very quickly. And it's very cold because it's ice water. So we're, we're camping along this, but there's an island about a mile out in the middle of this lake. So I, we gather up all that we can in our in our canoe, and we gather it in, and we start going out there, and the wind's behind us, and it's quite calm, and it's nice, and it's peaceful. And we make it out there, we set up camp, we camp the night, and we're going to come back in the morning. And when the wind that was at our back is now at our front. And this whole time, my father-in-law had been saying, you know, Jake, I don't think this is the best idea. I think let's just... Let's think this through. And I'm telling him, no, what can possibly go wrong? Everything's fine. Me and Adam, we have these same conversations. And I think, what can possibly go wrong? Well, pretty much everything could possibly go wrong. The wind that was at our back is now at our front. And these waves that were small were now large and rolling. So here we are trying to come back, canoeing one side and then the other, and trying to keep it straight to go back to our original campground. And the waves start not just hitting us from the front, but the wind turns and they hit us from the side and they nearly start capsizing. So I say, Mike, let's get our life jackets on. We look, there's no life jackets at all. And this freezing cold water and it's, we know if we go in, we're never coming back out because it's just too cold. And it's in those moments that I realized I should have heeded his warning. I should have been afraid. I should have been very afraid of the simple warning that was let out before us. It seemed like not a big deal. You canoe out there, have a great time, gather some wood, have a good campfire, canoe your way back, have a great story. Well, no. So we turn around and we made it about a third of the way out there. We're exhausted. We turn around and go back to the campsite where the, we're on the island. And then we, we went the weak way, right along the shore, along the whole way back. We eventually made it, but I knew... I should have heeded his warning. He was wise, much wiser than me, much older than me. But no, I didn't listen to him. I thought I'd be fine. I could do it in and of myself, couldn't I? Well, that's what we have here in our text. That we, we, we read these texts. Kevin just read it for us. We read these words. We should be afraid. Very, very afraid. This is a warning given out to the Pharisees, of course, but when the Pharisees, who do we see? Well, we see ourselves. They're just like us. They're living out the natural tendencies that's within all of us, are they not? 
So that's our main point we're going to be driving home. For this week, and it'll carry on some into this next week, is that we should be afraid. Very, very afraid. So what do we do? Well, in verses 1 through 12, we see that we should live in humble service, should we not? We're not going to exalt ourselves as the Pharisees do. No, but we should live in, in humble service. And then in verses 13 through 15, we should refuse to remain silent. Refuse to be silent. We'll explain that when we get there. And then finally, we see in this text that you have nothing. You have absolutely nothing apart from God. In this last chunk here, verses 16 through 22, you have nothing apart from God. So, my friends, be afraid. Be very, very afraid. This warning is given to the Pharisees. This warning is given to you as well. So we we see that we should live lives in humble service before our brothers and sisters. We should refuse to remain silent about Christ and the gospel, the kingdom of heaven. And finally, I hope you see, I pray that you see, that you have nothing, absolutely nothing, apart from God. Let's let's recap here. So here is Christ. He's He's been preaching about the kingdom of heaven. His first words of his ministry are repent for the kingdom of heaven or uh, kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he has his ministry in the Sea of Galilee and he goes down to Jerusalem for some of the festivals. And then he comes down for this last time and he has his triumphal entry. And it's not on the white horse that we encountered several weeks ago in Revelation 19. No, it's not on that, but he comes in on a foal, a, a colt, to the donkey, this beast of a burden. He comes in and the crowds around him are going, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he goes in and he turns over the, the, the money changers' tables and he overturns them and he addresses the Pharisees. And he condemns them. But you see what also happens. The blind and the lame and the mute, they, they come to him and he heals them. And then that night he goes out to Bethany and spends the night. And then he comes back in the very next day. And he picks it up with the, with the Pharisees. He's still addressing them. And he's giving them parables and he's, he's condemning them. They begin to question his authority, don't they? And then he responds, well, the baptism of John, why, what authority did he have that? And they knew if they said it was from of heaven, well then they should have been following John rather than condemning him. But if they said of men, well then the people would turn against them in their perpetual fear of men. They couldn't do that. So he, and then he also tells them well, the parable about the landowner. And you, you have two sons and well, there's, there's those, who is more like God? The one who says, I will go do it, and then doesn't? Or the one who says, no, I won't, but then does? Well, the Pharisees, they know who he's speaking of when he says, once I say, I will do it, but they don't do the word of the Lord. But you have those who say they won't. Then they, they do it. The ones on first blush who you would cast him aside, the tax collectors, the, the sinners, the prostitutes. They are the ones who are actually more willing to do the word of the Lord than the actual Pharisees themselves. So when soon he, he begin to 
try to seize him. Do they not? The tension here is great. It's, it's like Jonathan and climbing up the, the cliffs outside of Gabal to attack the Philistines in their stronghold. That's what Christ is doing. He's going right into the temple, right into the stronghold of these Philistines, or the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's coming right to them to denounce them. And he begins with these words. Let's read again the text, verses 1 through 11, or 1 through 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. But do not do the works that they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their flactories broad and their fringes long. They love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, and the greetings in the marketplace, and being called rabbi by others. But, but you, verse 8, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. I call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. Greatest among you shall be your shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself, my friends, he will be exalted. So what's going on here? Well, you have the the people, the, the common people are following the Pharisees. They're the religious rulers. And so Christ says, well, yes, that is fine. For Why? Because they, they sit on Moses' seat, you see in verse 2. And in the Christian life, we're called to submit to authority. We're called to submit to authority. Children, to parents, employees, to employers. We're called to submit to authority. But don't do as they do if they're not doing what God commands. These Pharisees, they tie up these heavy burdens and, and lay them on the people. Right? It's like, Christian, leaving the the city of destruction, right? John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, he leaves the city of destruction and he goes through the slew of despair, of despond, and he's coming out of it. Later on he sees he's coming along the wall of salvation, remember? And he sees the tomb and he sees the cross. It's as if this burden had been lifted off him, taken off of him. And what do you see here? But there are the Pharisees picking up these burdens and putting them back in his knapsack, right? Having high esteem and being well respected and highly regarded having a nice job, having a nice retirement, putting it back on Christian. I mean, and yeah, I don't need them, says Christian. The Pharisees say, but don't you want them? Don't they look good? And the burden comes and lays down Christian and he's, his legs are weary and his knees give out long before he makes it to the celestial city, carrying this extra burden. Look at me! I'm religious, the Pharisees would say. I have phylacteries that are broad and the fringes that are long. And these phylacteries, they're, they're scrolls that would, they're rolled up and they have portions um, of Exodus 13 where the consecration of the firstborn son right after the, 
the first Passover, the first Exodus, right in context of that. It would have portions of the, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, and then the blessings of Deuteronomy 11, all written up on these, these scrolls, and they would put them and roll them up and put them in something leather and tie them to their left arm or to their heart or to their head. And they would look religious. You still see that in Jerusalem now. And they, they look religious. It's not written on their heart. It's written actually externally. So we think they look foolish. But no, they, they look religious. And they look great. And then they, they would have these fringes that would come down. It's from Numbers 15. Let me read this. It's quite interesting. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corner of their garments throughout the generations. I had to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. Sounds great. And it's why? Well, here it is. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and to remember the commandments of the Lord, to do them, and not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. And here's the irony of these tassels. They make them long. Why? So they can be seen, not to actually do the commandments that God had given them. No, but to be seen. And so they're actually living out the warnings that were in the commandments. They're not doing it to be to honor God, but no, they're doing it to honor themselves. And what about love, these Pharisees? Well, what about love? Well, yes, of course they have love. They love, they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, don't they? And the greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. Well, yeah, they have love. They love that stuff. But what about the greatest commandment? What about, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, my friend, well, that's a different story. So yes, they, they have love, but they, they love themselves with an undying love. Let me get to verse 8. But you. But you. And you see why this is here. You see why it's included. Because it has to be. We can never think of ourselves as above these Pharisees and speak so ill of them and, and think that we're actually above them. No, no, no. We, we can never call, fall prey to these sirens that call out to shipwreck our faith. No, we cannot fall prey to them, my friend. We cannot think we're so firmly established in and of ourselves. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. And these, these Jewish doctors, they would be called rabbi and father and instructor by their disciples. They would have this group of disciples that would follow them and they would laud them with these titles. And they would follow them. Whatever they said, that's what they would do. And they would follow after these, these Jewish doctors. But no, my friends, we are not, we are not to be like this. We are not to be called rabbi. Why? Because there is one teacher, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the one who teaches His church. He is the one who leads His church. Leads His people in the way of salvation. And there is only one Father. We don't call anyone else Father. No, we, we have one Father. The true Father. Amen. 
who's in heaven watching over us, nurturing us as his little children. You're going to give that title to some other man who's going to die a death and he can't even save himself. No, give it to God. Exalt God, your true father in heaven. And you are not to be called instructors. For there is one instructor, and that is Christ, and he is the one that shall lead and teach his church. And how easy it is for us, my friends. Either in our jobs or elsewhere, even in the church, to seek after these these vain and supposedly glorious titles. How easy it is. But we must never think that we are above this. We fall prey to it, just as they did. We must never seek after these positions. We must never seek after these titles. For the degree that the glory is ours, we are robbing God of His glory. No, no. It is God alone who shall have all the glory. It is God alone who shall have all of the praise. And it is God alone whose name should be high and lifted up. Who shall have the name above every name. The name that upon whom every knee in heaven and earth and under the earth shall bow in the name that every tongue will confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Do not rob God of His glory. You will not endure. So it's the truth that's undergirding all of this. Verse 11. The greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This theme is coming up over and over and over again. Right? As Christ is teaching about his kingdom, and the disciples are trying to figure out, well, how do I fit in this? What's my role in this? And he reminds them over and over, be a slave, be a servant, humble yourself. Don't exalt yourself. Well, God will humble you because you're not going to rob God of his glory. In Matthew 18, he says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 20 He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever be first among you must be your gregarious leader. No, he must be your slave. This is not just in the Gospel of Matthew. You see it throughout. So when Hannah goes to the tabernacle, lays her heart up before God, she says, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. There is no... Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. By Him actions are weighed. Verse 7, 1 Samuel 2. The Lord makes poor and makes the rich. He brings low and He exalts. It's the Lord who does it. It's not us. The Lord brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He makes them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them He has set the world. 
It's not only there. Go to Proverbs 29. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. And then also in James chapter 4. Humble yourselves therefore before the Lord. And what? He will exalt you. So do you think there's this theme of people exalting themselves in, against God Starts in the garden, exalting themselves against God. It weaves throughout all of Scripture. We see Hannah crying out before God. You see it in the Proverbs. You see it in the Psalms a lot. You see it in the Prophets. You see it in the Gospels, and then you see it in the Apostolic Writings. Do you think, do you think for a moment that this does not apply to you? That it doesn't apply to me? That it doesn't apply to our church? My friends, It's repeated over and over and over because it needs to be addressed over and over and over. Like when I have to tell my sons, stop hitting each other with baseball bats. Like just just stop. And over and over and over again. Why? Because it needs to be addressed over and over and over again. Look at Corbin's face. It's bruised up beyond repair. (laughs) It applies to us, my friends. So what do we do then? You humble yourself. Actively. Actively humble yourself. So what then is humility? Well, humility is this active submission to God. That you realize your position before God and your full dependence upon Him as a child. So, when you realize your full dependence upon God and your true position before Him, that we are wretched sinners standing before a holy God. Ah, well then when you, when you go to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, and you see Christ's words that, Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all sorts of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. When you are actively humbling yourself, submitting to God, words like that become alive and they become rich. If you're not, well, then you, you read it and you go, well, that makes no sense. Right? So what does it look like? Well, we want to be like Christ, right? But Christ, well, he left the throne room of heaven. So we can do that. But what do you see amongst his disciples? How is he doing? He's, he's washing his disciples' feet, isn't he? We, we humbly serve one another. We, we seek the recognition of our Father who sees what is done in secret. Not men who see what is done in public. So we worship our God and we come to Him, bow down. It's the essence of worship is to bow and to make yourself low in that same position that we have before God. We see Christ turn in and apply it to his disciples and wash their feet. And that's the same thing we do as we approach God low and humble and actively submit to him. We turn to our brothers and to our sisters. 
And we approach them lowly, not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. No, but we humbly, knowing our place before God, we live that out, my friends. We live that out before our brothers and our sisters. So we, my friends, we should just recap before we move on. We should, we should be afraid. The tenor of the text demands it of us. And we see Christ again. He's, he's in the temple. He's attacking the Pharisees. He's going right after them, is he not? And he's religious leaders. We, we should not do as they do if they're not doing what God commands. It's true of us as well. Well, no, because they're seeking to exalt themselves rather than humbling themselves. But rather, what should we do? We should humble ourselves. Why? So that Christ and God might get the glory rather than us. So now we're going to see these woes. And it um, wasn't good for them. And it's, again, it's not good for us either. Let's continue on in the text here. Verses 13 and 15. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here we have the, the first of our seven condemnations, and it's striking out. He's going right after them, like a prophet of the Old Testament. Woe to you! The prophets would speak of the destruction of, of some like Edom or the Philistines or somebody else, and you say, Woe to you! Now here is Christ turning that same phrase to the religious leaders, the religious elites. It's as if they're a people beyond, beyond hope almost. And you see why. They're withholding the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. They're withholding it from other people. Don't you see that? They've turned their back to the entrance to the kingdom of heaven. And they're not even, they themselves aren't going in, but they're not letting others come in as well. You see it right here. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. They're like a goalie. There might be a someone coming close to Christ. No, no, no. Don't come in. Don't come in the kingdom of heaven. This is why they're, they're called hypocrites seven different times in this chapter. You remember, they sit in the seat of Moses. They're to be leading the people of God into the kingdom, into the promised land. And what are they doing? They're right there. They're right at the Jordan. They're about to go in. But no, they say, a little bit of legalism, a little bit of legalism, and back away from the Jordan. They go down south through Moab, across the Red Sea, and back into Egypt. The comfort of legalism. That's where they're leading God's people. Not into the kingdom of heaven. No, they refuse to go in, and they refuse to bring others. But back to Egypt, and back to slavery they go. Why? So they can look good. How are they doing this? They're they're denying Christ. 
They're denying Christ. At every turn, they're doing everything they can to oppose Him. You've seen it throughout the whole Gospel. Right? A healing over here, well, then it must be the work of Satan, right? Well, then a healing over there, well, I hope that didn't happen on the Sabbath. That would be terrible. A calling of a disciple out of his idolatrous zeal for theft and money. Matthew. And what do they do? Well, they, they condemn him because he's not to be associated with the lowly because Matthew, he throws a feast as he should have. And he comes on over to Jesus, comes over and he's associating with the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and the religious elites, the pastors of the day. They come along and they go, well, you don't want to be like them. You don't want to associate with them. Don't you want to be highly regarded? Do as we do. We fast on Monday. We fast on Thursday. And it is through this Christ whom they are denying the people enter into the kingdom of heaven. It is through Christ and through Christ alone, my friend. I pray that you have. And it is through Christ that we enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow. The gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Well, who then is this gate that leads to the way of life? Who then is this gate? That's Christ. I am the gate. I'm the door. Christ says in John 10. Don't you see that it is through Christ and through Christ alone that we are able to enter in and to find our rest? These men, they they had the keys to the kingdom, these Pharisees. They had the keys to the kingdom. And they denied people to enter the kingdom because they denied them of Christ. They had the keys to the kingdom, but they're denying people to come in. Don't you realize that is me? Don't you realize that is you, my friend? Don't you realize that you are depraving your neighbors, depraving, depriving your family, depriving your co-workers of Christ? Every time you have this internal urge to, to tell someone, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to tell them about Christ, to call them to repent. And you remain silent. But no. Why? Because we have the same heart in us that the Pharisees had in them. We care more about what they think rather than what God thinks. And so, yeah, we don't, we don't keep them out. We don't lock the door with legalism. No, it's far worse. We lock the door with our silence. We don't allow them to come in. We close off Christ in the kingdom through our silence. This must end. My friend, this must end. The Moravian missionaries, they were zealous, zealous for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. There was two men, Johann Dauber and David Nitchum. They were in Germany. And they were part of these. There was about 300 Moravians at that time. And they heard the stories of these Slave 
plantation, sugar plantations in the West Indies. And, and they, there was these slave owners who were atheists, two to three thousand per slaves per plantation, and they would not hear the gospel. The slave owners themselves, if they wanted to, they could go to church. But the slaves, no. They couldn't hear the gospel. And this war at them, and this war at them. These slaves, there they were, captive in body to the ruthless master, and captive in soul to their voodoo and to their sin. And these two men, Johann and David, they come up with this fledgling plan. They wanted to sell themselves into slavery to minister to the slaves, but they couldn't. So they come up with the plan. They're going to go out there, this fledgling plan. And they go out, and they're going to work as carpenters among the slaves. And they go out, and they... Everybody around them told them it was foolishness. You'll never make it. You'll die of malaria. You'll never make it. But undaunted, they go forth. They board the ship. They've been denied passage several times. But they finally paid off someone to get on board. They're on the back of the ship and going away from the docks where there are friends and their family were there. And they're at the back of the boat. And they're going off into the horizon and the gap is widening and the gap is widening and they call out through their friends and their families and they call out to them, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Thus became the rallying cry of the Moravian missionary movement. And within 20 to 25 years, they sent out more missionaries than the whole Christian church did in the previous 200 years. Why? Because they were zealous for God and zealous for His kingdom and His glory. Do you see the separation between them and so many of us? Me. May the Lamb that was slain receive the reward of His sufferings. Well, I, I don't... Kind of like my neighbor, I don't want to offend him. You know, person sitting by themselves in the coffee shop, just killing time, certainly wouldn't want to kill time talking about anything spiritual. Do you see the chasm that separates us, Father? We, we cannot do this. If our church is to be used by God, if you are to be used by God, we must go forth in prayer and deed and word, proclaiming the kingdom of God, proclaiming the gospel of Christ. And let us never think that we are above the folly of these Pharisees. This indictment is against us as well. We're not keeping others out through our legalism. No, we're, we don't struggle with that. But it's just through our silence. At least they would tell them about the kingdom. They just wouldn't let him come in. We don't even tell him about the kingdom. My friends, this must end. As a church, this must end. We long, do we not? Do we not long for the kingdom of God to be fully revealed here in this city? We do. If you don't, go, go to a different church. If you do, my friends, labor with us. Labor with us. To see Christ exalted, to see ourselves humbly live our lives before one another, that God might get all of the glory. Let us not be silent anymore. 
Let us not be silent anymore. Finally, let's wrap it up with this. Verses 16 through 22. Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools! For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is upon the altar, well, he is bound by his oath. You blind men! For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it and everything upon it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. Whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So very briefly, what, what's, what's happening here? So you have the group of men, these Pharisees, and they would, they would do everything they could to skirt around the truth, right? They wouldn't make an oath of this, but they, they'd swear by this. So they would go along and they'd swear by this and swear by that and then find a way to go along and do whatever they wanted. Yes, and they looked godly, did they not? They look godly. Well, they're swearing by the gold. They're swearing by the sacrifice upon the altar. But they have nothing. Why? Because they did not have God. Yes, they look godly. But they had nothing because they didn't have, they didn't have God. So the temple is of no value. Why? In and of itself, it's no value. But it does have value because God is there. Heaven. There's no no value whatsoever without God, but it does have value because it is the true home and the eternal, eternal throne of God. God dwells there. Therefore, it has value. So it is with us. We can swear by this and swear by that, right? We can look religious. We can have our obedient children. You can even have your daily devotions well done. Good and faithful servant. You should. We can make our, our gifts to the church. We can have our clean homes. And you can look very, very spiritual. But if you do not have God, my friend, you have nothing. Oh, but I was baptized when I was young. Well, good job. The Pharisees, they were circumcised. Why? No, I, I prayed the sinner prayer after that. Well, good job. They said the Shema every day. Why? Go to church faithfully, even when I'm tired. Well, good job. They would go to the temple every day, the synagogue every day as well. But they had nothing. They had nothing but God. So do not look to your external actions. Do not look to what you have done to find value, my friend. Look to what Christ has done. Jesus paid. We just sang it, didn't we? Jesus paid it all. All to Him we owe. We look to the finished work of Christ, not what you are doing. But look to the work of Christ. And then, and then you will have value. And then you will have meaning as you lay and humble yourself down. Why? That God might get the glory. And you refuse to remain silent to condemn your family and your neighbors through your sheer silence. Do not remain silent any longer, my friend. May the Lamb that was slain received the reward of his suffering. And do not carry on looking at your own religiosity as if it, if it means anything. But no, my friend, no, 
You can have it all, but you have nothing apart from Christ. But, my friends, you have everything, everything in Him. Let us pray. Let's pray. Dear God, we as a church want to be used by you. We want to burn brightly, not for our own glory, not even for the sake of this church, but God, for your kingdom. We pray that you would carry us along, that your spirit would give us the ability to do what you command us to do. Father, we pray that you would humble us so that you might be exalted. Your son might be high and lifted up, God. We pray that we will be used by you for your kingdom and for your glory. We pray this in the precious name of your son. Amen.